I'm not pulling in my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for their drive to work at home edition. So today I have Taylor Ingverson, who was the art director for March of the Machine, and we're going to talk all about the art direction of March of the Machine. So hey, Taylor. <laughs> hey, Mark. How's it going? Okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, the scope of this set is huge. How exactly yeah. do you approach a set that's everything we've ever done everywhere? <laughs> Yeah, no, the, uh, the, the task was, was pretty daunting. I think even at one point, um, somebody in the office was like, are we biting off more than we could chew on this one? <laughs> so I was like, no, 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 I think, I think we got it. Um, but it was, it's been a really interesting process for this project in particular for me. Um, cause this was one of the first sort of like big arc things that were sort of, um, presented to the studio just like super high level um this is kind of generally where we want to go and where we want this finale or we want this finale to happen of Brexia invading the entire multiverse um i think that was in my my first year at wizards and at that point i was like oh that sounds so cool bananas whoever gets to work on that is super lucky and then fast forward it's like hey you get to work on this it's like oh my gosh it's very exciting um but also also a pretty pretty tall order um so how we approached this um set was really trying to narrow down what planes we wanted to focus on and what planes we kind of wanted to have in the periphery during the card set um so what that meant was during the concept push our, our three weeks of time where we bring in a bunch of fantastic artists and our own internal artists and jam on a ton of different ideas and build the entire visual language for what what we want to do with the set and from there build the world guide um so it allowed us to kind of narrow the scope a little bit on uh focusing on some focal planes and building some set pieces and some major locations um like you'll see action happening around primarily around Miletus on theros or the Etherflux reservoir in on kaladesh um and etc but um, we did want to capture the vibe of going, as you said, like all throughout the multiverse, this is wide open. Um, we want to hit on everything. Um, so what we ended up doing for, uh, the push was sort of just building out, um, a visual language of what would connect all the planes together so that when you're, when you get a Zendikar card or when you get a Kaladesh card, you know, it's from March of the Machine and not from like another set that's focal on that plane. Um, so how we did it was, at least first first and foremost with that aspect, we wanted to build uh, something that was consistent, that showed Norn invading everywhere. Um, and we could have plopped just Phyrexians everywhere, which, which we did, but we wanted to add a couple of more layers to it to really make it loud at card size. Um, so we used sort of the idea of uh, from the seed core on um, New Phyrexia, wanted to expand out Realm Breaker and have these like mechanical branches span through the multiverse and be able to slam down into every plane and kind of connect New Phyrexia to every plane in the multiverse. Um, uh, so that's one part of it. The other part of it is we wanted to be able to show um, a progression of time throughout the invasion, which is always tricky in a card set because it's a non linear storytelling device so you'll see five different stages um throughout 
throughout the the setting. Um, stage one, you've probably seen a bunch in, in previews already and things like that, um, is pretty subtle. You'll start to see the Phyrexian symbol sort of manifest throughout all the different planes, almost as like a little omen. Um, stage two, you'll start to see portals starting to rip open uh, in the sky. Excuse me. And the sky is starting to darken and things like that. Felt super, super smart on that one. It was like, don't you get the portals are just like the inverse of the Phyrexian symbol. Very cool. Very cool. The creative process at work. Um, and then stage three is sort of all out action. The invasion is full on on that plane. So you get the portals, you get the branches coming down, you get Phyrexians pouring through. Um, and a couple new uh, elements that I'll touch on uh, in a second here for the Phyrexians. Um, and then stage four is when you see any card that sort of has this really strong magenta palette to it. Um, those were, the thinking behind that particular stage was those are planes that the invasion may, might not be going so well for, for the denizens of the plane. And Phyrexia is starting to take hold of that plane and almost starting to like terraform it and rebuild everything. So you'll get sinew and sort of uh, vertebrae looking um, uh, porcelain sort of growing over everything on that plane. Um, and the branches are still there and there's like looming uh, shapes in the background to sort of get the sense that more and more uh, Phyrexians are showing up and bigger and more powerful ones are showing up as well. Um, and then the fifth stage is sort of, oh, it's a little bit smaller of a focus, but it's sort of the heroic boon that gets sent out throughout the multiverse um, using uh, uh, Halo, which sort of helps kind of stall the advance of Phyrexia and allows the the uh, the denizens of the plane a little bit of a chance to fight back, um, and that's where it's sort of the the finale of the story takes place, where Elspeth charges in and fights Norn and get that big epic event. Um, so it's, it's super fun. Um, we also wanted to sort of hit on what is different about Phyrexia in this set versus what we just saw with uh, All Will Be One. Um, so we'll still get like the big, bad, the super awesome Phyrexians that you saw in that set. But um, we wanted to approach this set in the sense of the people on the planes aren't, well, maybe some of them are, but not all of them uh, want to be turned into Phyrexians. So we wanted to create sort of a, a look and sort of generate the process of what Phyresis looks like. Um, so throughout, Throughout the set, you'll see folks in various stages of becoming Phyrexianized because um, we wanted to get across that this is an invasion and Norm's trying to complete the entire multiverse to her uh, version of perfection, um, but not everybody's down with that. So we wanted to make sure that it was clear that this felt sort of like a uh, something that was being done to the denizens of the plane rather than them being volunteers for it. So another big part of, because there were so many different worlds, um, let's talk a little bit about style guides, because one of the big help is whenever we make a world, we make a style guide. So let's talk a little bit about what style guides are and how you were able to use them for this particular product so you could have people design stuff for so many different worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually wish I made the March of the Machine style guide way bigger. That would have been so much more helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, the, basically the point of the style guide is really it's sort of our um, our, our our world guide. It, it tells everything that is true at that moment for that plane. Um, 
some story elements in there. Um, a lot, a lot of work goes into making sure that we're creating a distinct visual language for all the different denizens of the plane, the locations, the environments, if there's any sort of visual hook that we want to add to this plane so that you know right away that you're on that plane and not another plane. Um, the hedrons in Zendikar are a great example. The second you see a hedron, it's like, oh, this is probably on Zendikar. Um, and if it's not, there's probably some bananas narrative reason uh, that, <laughs> that we're doing that. Um, so that basically is the uh, the driver for the at least the the creative of the card set. Um, and in a normal, something. like in a normal set, how how, mm-hmm. how how many pages is a style guide? Oh, it, it varies depending on what type of set we're doing, but it's generally like I think the smallest one we have is around ninety pages, and the biggest one is close to four hundred, I think. So it's a it's a lot of pages. It's a lot of pages to organize and um, sift through, and and that's used to send to all of our our artists who are working and helping us on the project to to help guide them with our with our art briefs on we need uh, oh we need X character doing X thing on this location, um, and it's basically all derivative from the car mechanic and what the what the set is trying to do as a game piece. Right, and the the art description will say, "Go look at page twenty two for the sword he's carrying, or page thirty six right. for the outfit he's wearing," and it'll give them yeah. all the individual details. Yeah, I think the the world guides that do it best allow for like the, the the visual toolkit is strong enough where we can send a say we've done all the the pointed uh, like the targeted pages and assets that we wanted in the card set from the world guide. Um, we also very much, just because of the nature of how some of the car mechanics work, uh, we don't always get it one for one in the guide. So um, sometimes we'll we'll send sort of like a range of pages, and it's like we need you to help us generate this character who's using something that's inspired by these tools that you see in the guide, um, and which is super awesome because then it sort of helps. It's almost like we're fleshing out the world. Uh, after the fact and as we're working on it uh, during the card set. Um, because the world guide's great. It is true to like what the world is, but nothing's really real until it gets printed on a card. So how much were you able to use existing style guides to make the war, the March of the Machine style guide? Yeah, it was, it was a huge driver for March of the Machine. Um, I suppose I should start off with this. March of the Machine is kind of what we call an event set. So, um, Usually with, with going to a new plane or return to plane, um, we're trying to build out a world and sort of show how expansive it is. With an event set, we're trying to almost like narrow the scope a little bit. Um, it's still huge, it's still epic, it's still big, but we're really narrowing what you're seeing on each one of these planes so that we can actually feasibly get it out on cards. Um, so reusing materials from a lot of the different style guides, um, uh, concept art plates that were still true from like Zendikar Rising, I pulled into March of the Machine, but then over over top of that, we would uh, set dress it for the different stages and elements that were happening with March of the Machine. So it was like um, taking, taking someone's beautiful painting, it's like, all right, well now 
this epic shot of uh, Tazim is a is a battle zone. So we we need to get the portals in here, Norn's branches splashing down and destroying all these awesome skyclaves that are coming together, um, things like that. So picking up assets from all the different war guides and the different planes that we went to in this set was was really really helpful to be able to reuse some of those assets. Um, and also helped us not have to reinvent the wheel for every plane that we went to. Um, as we talked about earlier, like a lot of the visual cues for the different planes are super strong. Um, so we just wanted to pull those elements forward and make it feel like it was during the event of, of this particular set. Okay, now a lot of the sets had style guides. We'd spent whole planes there before. But there are a lot of worlds that like, maybe this is you know, one of a handful of times we've ever seen the world. How did right. you deal with like the, the more, uh, the cameo worlds as we call them, they, they showed up, but not in large number or anything. Yeah, that was, um, Emily Tang and her team did a ton of work on that, uh, side of the fence where it was just gathering any info that we could possibly have about, um, XYZ playing from articles or novels, um, or anything like that. And some of them, um, forgetting the name of the plane right now. Oh darn! I should have had it in front of me. But Wait, which uh, one? Couple... Which one? <laughs> Try to describe it. See if I see if I can tell you which one it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know the I know the artist. <laughs> artist. Um, describe describe the plane. I'll see if I can name the plane. <laughs> oh, describe the plane. Okay, so uh, it's like a volcanic, terrible landscape that seems incredibly dangerous. Um, and there's giants there. Oh, hold on a second. I will get it for you. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a multicolored one. It is Asgul. I think that, that sounds right. Asgul, yeah, it's a volcano. It's, it's got zombies on it. It's a volcanic world. Yeah, done by Joshua Raphael. Um, yeah, done by Joshua yep. Raphael. Yeah, perfect. That was the one I was thinking of. That's <laughs> what I was thinking of. <laughs> um. So Joshua, the artist, uh, really helped us actually develop what that looked like on the fly um, on one of, on one of the most complex type of cards that we've ever done, which is a battle card. Um, so it was it was by no means a, a easy feat for him, but uh, he absolutely crushed it, and I'm so happy that we got to collaborate with him on that one. So you bring up battles. Let's talk about battles. Sure. Uh -huh. How did you illustrate battles? Battles are, they have a bunch of new challenges for you. Yeah. Um, battles. So, one, they're just inherently complex to try and get across at a very small uh, card size. Um, so we really wanted to kind of get a range of sort of what a battle means so that we could actually feasibly attack this uh, during the set. So there's some, like the one we just mentioned on, on Asgul, which is, it's a ton of figures running around. Um, there's a lot of uh, complexity within that composition. Um, but then there's there's uh, other ones, like on, uh, I believe it's Lorwyn, um, where it's, it's mostly sort of... Uh, fauna uh attacking a phyrexian that it happened to land on there um so he kind of wanted to stretch the gamut of of what it means we get the big blockbuster epic shots of a ton of figures or ships flying around on kaladesh or um uh folks really fighting back the phyrexians um and then other ones like like that or the battle for ravnica where it's mostly a portal opening up 
in the city street and a bunch of branches zipping through um, to sort of get this sense of, a, of impending doom um, coming for you. So we wanted to get it, we wanted to get a range so that battles stayed um, relatively exciting and fresh as you're opening them up in packs. So let's talk a little bit about landscape because we don't really do cars in landscape all that often. What yeah. art, from an art standpoint, what is that like? Is that is that a is that harder or easier? Uh, it really, I'm gonna steal a line from Doug here. It it depends. <laughs> um, but for for the the battles, I think it was it was a little bit more challenging in the landscape format because there's a transparent text box, or not transparent. Uh, yeah, and transparent. You can see through the text box. Cool, great. Um, so there's, a, we had to try and make sure all the important bits are in this very sort of narrow sliver um, in between the title bar and the text box, but still fill out the entire space. And if all those elements are removed and the art piece is just shown by itself, it still needs to look like it feels cohesive and there's not like this dead space where the text box is and everything else is happening above it. Um, so it, it was a bit challenging on thinking on how we were going to um, approach that. And that the template was, or the card template was sort of one of the um, factors that kind of led into varying up what a battle uh, could mean visually. Um, so it was, it was challenging to sort of like write the briefs to those asks um, and then also challenging on the, on the artist side of trying to fit everything that we wanted to achieve in there. Um, and there are a few times where worked back and forth with the artist on, um, Hey, this is a lot. Let me know. <laughs> Let me know if, if this isn't going to work. Um, and hey. so there was a lot of times where we kind of got to workshop that and uh, not get everything that was initially asked for, but still make it feel um, like there, like it was a battle going on. And there's an extra aspect on battles, which is it's a double face card, and I believe the artist that does the front also does the back face, right? Yep. In in most cases, that's what we try and do for sure. Um, like the the Teferi card with Jalfir bursting through the portal onto uh, New Phyrexia was was done by the same artist, uh, Chris Rallis. Um So it was really cool because you got to see this. At least in that card, this epic moment of Teferi sort of at the front of the charge, leading him through the portal, and then on the flip side, you get to see all of his forces uh, bursting through. Very, very fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it, when you have an artist do multiple pieces on one card, like on stuff like double face cards, it, are there different challenges to doing that? Like what, or is that sort of fun for the artist because they they get them to show something in two different ways? I, I, I think it depends. Like. Uh, whenever we do double face cards, we usually try and have some sort of visual connector between the two sides. Um, so for for that, it was very much like the the portal opening up and still within this sort of same moment. Um, I'm, I'm not going to speak for the artist if it's more exciting or not to do it to do double face cards, but they get they get two pieces uh, at least in the in the set and get to sort of focus on the same moment in time almost um so for me it's exciting because on all those cards we try and grab people that we that we really know can knock it out of the park um so for us it's always exciting to uh 
see what we wanted to come through and also see what they come up with on their own as they're working through sketches and things like that. And it becomes a really fun collaboration back and forth. So another neat thing we did with Double Face Cards is we have cards that show a character, usually iconically from some world, whether it's a creature or a legendary creature. And then the back face shows the Frexenized version of that creature. Um, and once again, I, usually that's the same artist doing both. What is what is that like to commission? That one for for this plan or this set was was really really exciting. Um, let me actually pull up one real quick here. Um, so for this set in particular, that was that was a vehicle that we used to help show like the different the different stages that were happening within um, within this setting. Um, so if you look at, oh, let's say, uh, Atali, uh, Primal Conqueror by Ryan Pancoast, um, on the front side of that card, you get to see them in all their glory on Ixalan. Um, there's some, there's some like red lightning kind of on purpose in the background to sort of hint at what's to come. But then the big thing that's super exciting on that is scratched in the mountain behind them in gold lines is in gold veins is this phyrexian symbol it's like wait a minute that's not that doesn't belong on ixalan and then on the flip side you get to see them all phyrexianized uh portals and branches have ripped through the same red lightnings in there um atoli the conquered um so it was it was super 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 fun um in this set on these ones because we got to totally change what a creature look like and adapt them to what their Phyrexian form might look like. Um, and this this piece in particular and a bunch of these ones where particular creatures were getting Phyrexianized weren't in the guide. So this was a moment where um, it was really Ryan sort of using kind of the thinking behind what Phyrexianization would look like um, and applying that to uh, Itali and sort of creating this really awesome um, Phyrexian version of them. Yeah, I do want to point out something you mentioned, but this is true, I believe, for all the Frexian, Frexianized creatures, is that the front face, you always snuck in a, a Frexian symbol somewhere, right? Yeah, we tried to. <laughs> we tried to. <laughs> so just always trying to hint at, like, wait a minute, That's, this isn't right. <laughs> What's going on? Okay, so let's have one more double face card. So another cool thing we did is we have the Praetors on the front side and then a Saga on the back side. So let's talk, mm -hmm. talk a little bit about, about making those. Yeah, those are super fun. Um, the Praetor on the on the front side uh, is always interesting because they're always sort of changing and adapting to the narrative needs and um, like set to set on what they're on what they're doing. Um, and then the back side was really just trying to highlight what that uh, layer of Phyrexia was really about. Um, so the saga on the back side, in some cases, like wasn't necessarily like specific to this set, but just wanted to really embody what um, what those Praetors uh, believed in and uh, what the vibe of that color really was for, for them. And then on the front side is them doing all sorts of crazy stuff, martial machine-wise, uh, combating uh, or preparing to do Norn's bidding and invade the multiverse. Yeah, the back is fun. The back was kind of their dream of what they wanted. Like, had they succeeded, this is what would have happened. Um, this would be the, the perfect world through the eyes of that particular Praetor. <laughs> the other thing that's unique about this is um, you commission two pieces to the same artist, but in different ratios, which I don't think happens very often. 
Yeah, it was the same with uh, the the battles, uh, these sagas. Um, yeah, magic does a lot of interesting stuff sometimes, and it's always a fun challenge to sort of mind mindscape how we're going to tackle all of them. <laughs> for, just for the audience, real quick, the sagas are long and thin because um, they they basically they're on the side of the card, and so mm-hmm. one of the neat things about magic is we. Once upon a time, like, all magic cards have the exact same art shape. And over time, we've started finding different ways to do different art shapes. And so, I know as an art director, there's, like, you know, d- different ratios require different kind of art and stuff like that. Yeah, it's something, thank, thank goodness that we have uh, uh, awesome producers to help us keep track of some things sometimes, which means all the different uh, aspect ratios and different types of cards and different components for each set. Um there's, it's very easy to miss something. Um, so keeping an eye on those is, is really helpful. Um, okay, another thing that was a, uh, a fan favorite of this set was the team-ups. So let's talk a little yeah. bit about, how, about art directing the team-ups. What were the challenges yeah. of that? Um, I think the, the team-ups, honestly, were some of the more challenging things to do because we would have um, just characters and creatures of very different uh, sizes and shape and trying to show them uh, together in a cohesive piece at, at a two-inch uh, rectangle on a, on a card was was pretty challenging. Um, so again, it was one of those things similar to the battles where it took a lot of care in kind of crafting the art brief. Um, and then it was also very keen on uh, artist selection and then uh, that artist, you know, had another challenge of trying to, you know, force fit these two types of characters together in a in a, in a fun and pleasing way. Um, one that comes to mind right off the bat is uh, Brigmos and Fippleflip uh, by Rudy Siswanto. So you have this giant from Ravnica, and then you've got this tiny little, like, couple foot <laughs> tall figure. Um, so, but luckily it was, you know, we went through back and forth on a few different iterations and ended up with uh, Fibblethip sort of looking fierce, as fierce as a Fibblethip can on, on uh, Brigmos' shoulder. Um, but those were those ended up being a ton of fun. Um, just at, at first, there's there's always sort of that like, ooh, how are we going to work this out? <laughs> work this out? Is it these two characters? Should we do other characters? How should we put these two together? Um, but ultimately, they, they all came out really great. And, Really, really happy with everybody's work on them. Yeah, no, I. Uh, one of the things that's challenging, like just taking uh, Barbarigos and Fibblethip, is that they're just the cards have different tones to them. Like normally, when you see Fibblethip, it's a little more humorous, and when you see Barbarigos, it's a little more serious. And so, like, how do you have a serious character and a humorous character appear together in a way that makes both characters feel like who they are? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think for that one was. I think that one was some, one of the, I guess in that regard, one of the, I don't want to say easy, but um, felt more natural that way for for Fibblethip, because I, I feel like whatever situation we would put that character in, he's he's generally out of place. Yeah. <laughs> <He's> generally <laughs> out of place. <laughs> um, so even, even here where it's a very kind of like intense moment of uh, Borborygmo's yeah. grabbing <laughs> These uh, uh, invasion branches from Realmbreaker and Fibblethip is just kind of 
cheering him on. Like, you go, you can do this. Probably not doing any fighting himself, but um, yeah, yeah. He's there. I, I do like this card. Uh, okay, yeah. so we're um we're I'm almost at my desk here, so I just want to say, is there, is there any other aspect of the art that, that we haven't mentioned yet that you wanted to touch upon before we wrapped up for today? Any, any other, other? I mean, I, I hit upon as many as I could think of, but maybe there's stuff I didn't hit upon that you wanted to touch on. Yeah, I think as, as you're looking through stuff, just keep an eye out for the stages and try and find uh, uh, where all the little Phyrexian symbols are in all the pieces. So I'm excited to see what people find. We, we tried to hide some, tried to make some obvious. Um, Maybe put some that aren't even there. <laughs> so. Another thing that is fun for people is to try to figure out what world each art is on. And I know you oh, guys yeah. tried really hard to make sure that they're like things to help tell you which world is which art and stuff like that. So, yeah, put your put your hand over the text box and try and guess what plane we're on. <laughs> so, but anyway, I just want to say that I I I think the art came came across great. I mean, I it. It's a daunting, daunting challenge to like just show up on every world we've ever done, and um, I, I think you you guys did such a great job of just showcasing all the different worlds in a way that felt cohesive, but yet each world had its own identity, which is not easy to do. Awesome, thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm no, it's fun. It, it's just, <laughs> I, I love looking at the art for this set. There's just there's just so much going on. So. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I just want to take, uh, thank you very much for being with us t today, Taylor. Um, no thank you. The, I know the audience loves hearing about art, so it's, it's fun having you guys on to always talk through the art. Yay. <laughs> but guys, I'm at my desk, so we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I, once again, I want to thank Taylor for being with us. Thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure. And for everybody else, please take the time to look through March of the Sheen. Uh, uh, enjoy all the art, figure out all the planes, find all the hidden symbols, and um, really soak in all the awesome art from this set. So uh, I will say bye-bye, and I'll see you guys all next time. <laughs>